Look at Luke 24 this morning and read what the Lord would have to say to us. Luke 24, starting at verse 44. Here's what the scripture says. And then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And then he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Then I want you to look at Acts chapter 1. We're just going to read one verse this morning. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Scripture reads like this. It says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word today. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will just speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear, hearts to understand. But Lord, most of all, would you fill every empty vessel in this place today. Equip us for the harvest field that you have for us. Lord, both around the world and in our own backyards. I pray, Holy Spirit, come now. Convict every heart in every life. Lord, if there be somebody here that doesn't know you, may they come to know you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated this morning. Look to the person beside you and then turn around behind you and say good morning to them this morning. Hallelujah. God is so good. God is so good. Listen, uh, this morning I want to continue and actually put a capstone on the series that we started a few weeks ago that we've entitled The Harvest. And uh, like I mentioned a moment ago, if you were here at camp meeting last week, man, it was just amazing. Every service building, uh, built upon each other, and it was just a time of power. And I really felt like, as we began to look at this, that um, the Lord wanted me to kind of bring this particular thing to a close. We're going to start something new in the next week or so, and uh, you don't want to miss that. But today, I want to preach to you from a subject entitled, Help. For the harvest. Can you say that with me? Help for the harvest. If you have not been with us or you've been out of service or two and perhaps you've kind of not been in the gist of what we've been talking about, I want to spend a few moments to just recap with you so that we can all jump on the train and go to the same place together. Would that be all right? Well, the first week in this series, we begin to talk about the harvest that Jesus has in front of us. And that harvest is a harvest of souls. And the word of God, when it's preached, goes into the ground and it produces fruit. Some of those seeds are stolen away. Some of them sprout up and fall away. But God, his desire is for mankind to be transformed by the power of the word of God. And the Holy Spirit regenerating their lives and causing them to be a child of God, to be born again. We've been looking at the harvest and how significant and how important that is. The week after that, we kind of came back and hit some really tough ground when we talked about the wheat and the tares with the message while men slept. And we talked about how it is totally possible 
to look like a Christian on the outside, but yet you not be saved. The Bible talks about that, that there is a false conversion that happens. That, that wheat stalk, it grows up, and the tear right beside it, and up until the day of harvest, they look identical. We learned that those grains of, of wheat inside of that wheat stalk at maturity, it bows down low because of the heaviness of the grain. Yet the tear, it doesn't bow down. It stands up tall because on the inside, there's nothing but counterfeit, black seeds that barely weigh anything. And we talked about how in the judgment before God, the righteous will bow down in humility, but the unrighteous or the tares, they will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out devils in your name? And he said, depart from me. I never knew you. We had a, a deep, deep conversation about the wheat and the tares. But this morning, everybody say this morning, I want to talk to you about help for the harvest. It doesn't matter what kind of harvest there is in the world if you don't have the resources available to reap it. And this morning, I want to talk to you about that because this process is very meticulous as we shared from week to week. First of all, you've got to go and find the harvest field. And when you get ready to sow into that field, you've got to plow it up. You've got to take, take up the rocks, the roots, under, under um, get that ground under, turn it over. And then number two, you've got to what? Plant the seed. What did we learn? You can't have a harvest from a seed you never sowed. You got to plant a seed. A lot of people are saying, Lord, where's my harvest? Check your pocket. Amen. I'm not referring to your billfold this morning. I'm talking about your seed pouch. Amen. Listen, if it's still in your pocket, it can't produce a harvest. So then there is seasons of time. The Bible says as long as the earth remains, summer, winter, spring, fall, seed time and harvest will always remain. So the, the sower goes out and sows, and then he has to wait and what did we learn there? We learned that even when you can't see God working, He's working. Underneath the soil, the seed is going through a process. But one day, everybody say one day. But one day, there is resurrection power going to sprout through. Because listen, what you don't realize is that seed underneath the pressure of the earth, the atmospheric pressure crushes the seed, actually causing death. And from that death comes new life. I got news for you this morning. Jesus said, you must be born again. Come on. Hallelujah. So we have a process of the harvest. And then we learn that harvest time, although it's an exciting time, is not a time to be lazy. Harvest time is a time to put your boots on, you get up earlier, you go to bed later. You can, you can rest when you eat the harvest, amen? And there is a time coming where we will go to the marriage supper of the Lamb and celebrate with the Lord, but right now, it's harvest time. We got to go out and reach the harvest for the Lord, amen? So, let's jump into this. We established that the harvest that Jesus was speaking about is a harvest of lost souls. Now, when Jesus was happened to be talking to his disciples, he was ministering. I love this. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, records it. Also, there's some other places. The Bible says that when Jesus saw the crowd, he said they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he saw them going to and fro, and they were just going from here to there, place to place. They were sick, they were wounded, they were, they were bound, they needed deliverance. And Jesus came back to his disciples, and he said, Verily I say unto you, the harvest 
indeed is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And I want you to know what Jesus told us. Jesus said, pray therefore that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers out into the harvest field. That's what we need to be praying each and every day. Lord, send laborers out into the harvest. But much like we sang this morning, Isaiah chapter 6, when we see the glory of God, we say, Lord, here I am, send me. Come on. Lord, here I am, send me. Let me tell you something this morning. God drafts no people into his army like our military system does and can. But God, he, all of us, when you sign up to be in the army of the Lord, you're volunteer. But understand, even though it's volunteer, you have a commitment to be all in. And to be all in, that means we got to be about our master's business. Now, soul winning is the primary assignment of Jesus. Christianity is not about bigger houses. It's not about bigger cars. It's not even about how much faith you can have. All of those things may be byproducts of the gospel fruit and, and of the message and Christian living. I get that. But what you've got to understand is the Bible says that the Son of Man was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Then it said the Son of Man came that he might seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus focused on the harvest because he knew each and every life is rushing to eternity I want you to think about that you know statistics a lot of times they're not correct sometimes they're based on a small group of people maybe they're not used by a, a large enough crowd to have an accurate representation but let me tell you one statistic that is absolutely correct Unless Jesus comes back, 10 out of every 10 people, they die physical death. And the question is, what happens after we die? Well, there is this thing called eternity. All of us are racing, racing to those places. There are only two places, not three. There's either heaven or there's hell. There's no purgatory. That's a lie made up from the pit of hell. There's no holding place. Amen. And listen, if you're righteous, you go to be with Jesus. If you're unrighteous, you go to a place of judgment, uh, uh, torment awaiting everlasting judgment. So this morning, the reason why we have to be about the harvest is because Jesus wants us to be about the harvest. Are y'all still with me this morning? So if we're going to work in the harvest field, we need to be equipped to do so. So I want to take you on a bit of a journey this morning, and I want you to give me your undivided attention. If you don't have to get up and go out, if it's not an emergency, I'd ask you to hold it and just listen this morning because God wants to speak something to your life. People ask me, people in this town have asked me recently, man, what's going on over there at First Assembly? People are excited. People are, are coming from different places, and people say, what's going on over there? And I tell them, there's no special program. There's no gimmick. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you have to get people with cookies and Kool-Aid, you got to keep them with cookies and Kool-Aid. Come on, somebody. And I like cookies and I like Kool-Aid. But at the end of the day, it's the power of God that distinguishes us Listen, Moses, when Moses was leading 
the children of Israel. I love his prayer. He said, Lord, if you don't go with us, I don't want to go. That's my prayer right now. Holy Spirit, if you don't lead, if you don't bear the Ark of the Covenant, I don't want to go. I want to stay steadfast in step with your presence. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to prophesy right now, for years, people like us, Spirit-filled people, we've been laughed at, we've been scoffed at, they have talked about us, but the day is coming very soon where they're going to be running to us for answers because motivation won't get it. Come on, a pep talk won't get it, and a counseling session won't get it. Somebody is going to have to have the power of God in their life. Hallelujah. What makes us different? It's the harvest. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about this a little bit. In Luke's Gospel, chapter number 24, you don't have to return over there. I just want you to listen. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 24, Jesus is getting ready to make His way. The disciples are... You know, they're, they're just trying to feel their way through this thing. I mean, Jesus had died on a cross, and of course, they were pretty skeptic about that. Peter had went back fishing, doing the things that he used to do. And then the Bible says there were some days after where he showed himself alive. He demonstrated his power to them. And there, Jesus told his disciples, he said, I want you to go until, until the city of Jerusalem, and I want you to tarry there until you receive the promise of my Father. See, Jesus had told them, it is expedient that I go away. Because unless I go away, the Comforter cannot come to you. Jesus was speaking about the Holy Spirit. I love John chapter 6. Jesus was there with the people. They were there at the feasts. And uh, Jesus was standing at the base of the great mountain. And he said, all who are hungry and thirsty, let them come unto me and drink. For out of their bellies shall flow rivers of living water. And the scripture says, this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, who had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. See, there was something supernatural that happened after Jesus ascended and sat down by the right hand of God. He poured out the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, people hear the term Pentecost. Pentecost, what, is, what does it mean? What does Pentecost mean? The word Pentecost simply means 50. Everybody say 50. It's 50, and it actually was, was one of the biblical feasts that was celebrated 50 days after Passover. If you know anything about the, the Gospels, you understand that, uh, that Jesus... Um, his death, burial, and resurrection it fulfilled the Old Testament shadow and type of Passover because he was the lamb that was slain that took away the sins of the world. His blood did cover us and cause death to spiritually pass over us. He is the Passover lamb. But God, in his own way, knows what he's doing. Now, God does not see time like we do. We look at our watch, we look at our calendars. The time of your watch, the time of your calendar, that is chronos time. It's where we get the, the word chronological. It is a set, distinct order. But God works outside of time. Come on, I'm going to preach to you, get it this morning. 
God works outside of time. In fact, God doesn't work like us. You know what the Bible says? He sees the, the end from the beginning. So when God goes to start something, he does it in rewind. Oh, come on, somebody. What that means is before you ever came on the earth, he already knew what his plan was for you, what he designed for you to do, what your purpose is, and he's just waiting on you to step into it. Now, look at this. Paul wrote to the church of Galatia, and here's what he said. He says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin. He, when the fullness of time come, say fullness of time. That phrase in the Greek, it means a kairos moment. See, we have chronological time, then there, are, there is what's called kairos time. Kairos time are God's appointed times. And I'm setting you up this morning for you to see how specific God is in the Scripture. I didn't ask you to turn over here this morning, but I want you to turn over with it in your Bible, and I want you to see this phrase. In Acts chapter 2, the first verse, the Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come everybody say fully come again same phraseology in the new testament it's kairos time god told them to go to jerusalem and to wait until god poured out the promise of his spirit and then acts chapter 2 verse 1 says when the fullness of time had come when the day of pentecost had come they were all in one place walled in one accord came a sound from heaven of a rushing of a mighty wind. You, you've probably heard that scripture before, but God specifically set this day on his calendar to do this thing. That's what I want to show you this morning because Pentecost means 50. Say it one more time. Say 50. It means 50, right? 50 days after. So Jesus showed himself alive and then he ascended and for 10 days the disciples and the mother of Jesus, Mary, and others were there. Many people were invited. 500, but only 120 showed up to the upper room. 380 people were too busy to hang out with the Holy Spirit and Jesus that day. 380 people had better things to attend to. Boy, did they miss out on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. See, this was significant. Because not only does Pentecost mean 50, but Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, is the grain harvest feast. That is when they have the great ingathering of all of their crops, and they bring them to Jerusalem to offer them to the Lord. Everything the farmers had worked for, they bring it and they offer it to the Lord. It was a time of the ingathering of the harvest. Now, this is significant because God is painting a picture here that all of us need to understand. Because on the day of Pentecost, right? On the day of Pentecost, he poured out his Holy Spirit. Peter got down amongst the twelve and he began to preach a tremendous message whereby people were saved, convicted, water baptized, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Powerful. Wasn't the only time God moved like this in history, though. 
See, the book of Exodus records that at the giving of the law, God called Moses to come up. And when Moses went up, the Bible says the power of the Lord came down. There was thunderings and lightnings and fire and smoke that came upon Mount Sinai as Moses descended up to the presence of the Lord. The people stayed in the valley and they heard the sound of warfare in the atmosphere. When the law was given and God saw the, fierce, the, the fierceness of the Lord's anger, saw the people down in the valley committing idolatry, the anger of the Lord was kindled and 3,000 people died at the giving of the law. The anger of the Lord wiped out 3,000 people. But I want you to know something. There is another time in history where God moved like that. The Bible says that disciples among with the, the people who followed Christ, they found themselves in an upper room. And after they had prayed, and after they were unified, and after they had sought the Lord, when the day of harvest had fully come, there came a sound from heaven. People say, Pentecost churches are too noisy. We've always been associated with a sound. This ain't a library, folks. It's not a cemetery either. Come on, somebody. There came a sound from heaven. It was like a rushing of a mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there came out of heaven cloven tongues of fire sat upon each of them. Once you notice the wind filled the house, but the fire sat on each one of them. See, that's significant. I don't want to teach that this morning, but there is a corporate anointing and there is an individual anointing. You see, it is possible for you to feel the Spirit of God in here and never have the fire fall on you, but I'll, I'll get off of that for a moment. But here's what happened. When the fire of the God came down and sat upon their heads and they were endued with spiritual power, Peter went down and stuck his face in the, in his finger in the face of the religious rulers of that day and he began to preach to them. And the Bible says in Acts 2.38, it says that they were pricked to their heart and they said, what must we do to be saved? And Peter told them what they needed to do. And the Bible says that they were baptized. And they, they later went on to a great number of people. The Bible says that 3,000 people were saved. Plus women and children. On the day of Pentecost. You see, when the law was given, 3,000 died. When the Spirit was given... 3,000 came to life. See, here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. It says, the letter, it kills, but the Spirit gives life. Jesus was trying to show a distinction between the law and the Holy Spirit. The law brings forth death, but the Holy Spirit brings forth life. Friends, what I'm trying to get you to see this morning is that God chose to birth the, Holy, the church on the day of Pentecost and allow the Holy Spirit to come empower her to show us a picture. 
hidden in the Old Testament on the day of the harvest when people would go out and bring their harvest to the Lord. He was trying to show them that what I'm about to give you is going to be help for the harvest that I'm sending you to. These disciples, I'm setting you up, Luke 24. He said, I want you to go and tarry into Jerusalem and wait. Everybody say wait. I want you to wait until you be endued with power. The word endued there, it means clothed. Wait until you're clothed with power. He told them to wait. Didn't sound like an option to me. Didn't sound like a suggestion. Really, honestly, sounded like a command. Then in Acts chapter 1, we read this verse a minute ago, verse 8. Jesus is caught back into heaven and, and, and the, the angels are saying, you men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into the heavens? The same Jesus whom you saw go will also come in like manner. He says, but you, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's the same word for clothed. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Folks, here's what I want to tell you this morning. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We do. And this morning, I, I wish to be very simplistic, and I want to demystify, if you will, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go through some of these very quickly. My talking points, my thoughts this morning are not statements as much as they are questions that I want to answer. Here's the first one. Number one, who is the Holy Spirit? If you ask a bunch of people, you may get different answers. You may have somebody go to church and the song was sang just right or somebody hit the right note. They, their hair may stand up on their arm or on the back of their neck or they may get goosebumps and they may say, well, I felt the Holy Spirit. They may walk away and say, well, the Holy Spirit must be a goosebump. Some people may say the Holy Spirit is a, is a feeling. Some people may say He's a force. I've heard that before. The Holy Spirit is God's active force. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. The Holy Spirit is a force. But I want you to know something this morning concerning who is the Holy Spirit. He's not a force. He's not a feeling. He's not an idea. He's God. He is God. See, we believe in the triunity of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means that God is God, and Jesus is as much as God as God is. And it says that the, the, the Holy Spirit, He also is God. It's hard for us, our little finite brains, to wrap around that. But the truth is, is that God in heaven created everything by the word of His power through His Son, Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, He, he gave them foreshadowing. Then the New Testament, He sent Jesus from heaven. And then when Jesus went back, He sent the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is the Spirit of truth. He is God's Spirit, God's presence. God's power. He has a, he's a person. Let me tell you about a person. A person has feelings. The Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. You can't grieve a force. 
You can't grieve a goosebump. In Acts, when Paul and Barnabas were called out to minister, the Bible says as they stood fasting and praying and ministering to the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, means he can speak. He can speak. A force can't speak. A feeling can't speak. But God can speak. The Holy Spirit is God. He has feelings. He can be grieved. There is, the Bible says, the kingdom of heaven is not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not to be feared. Listen, a lot of people I've heard through the years, they say, I don't want to go to one of them kind of churches. And I say, well, hold on now. What do you mean by one of them? We're going to, to talk about this for a moment. What do you mean by one of them? And they say, well, you know, Holy Spirit churches. I got a question for you. What other kind of church is there? For real. Jesus said when the Spirit of truth comes, He will lead you, guide you into all truth. When He comes, He won't speak of His but he will magnify me. The Holy Spirit points us to Christ. He points us to exalt Jesus. And listen to me. If you don't have the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your midst, nothing but a glorified community club. The Holy Spirit is God. Here's the second thing. We have to ask ourselves the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Number two, what does the Holy Spirit do? What does the Holy Spirit do? What's his job? Well, the Bible says in the Gospel of John, one of the things that he does, he convicts the world of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts. He, he, he draws us. He, he helps us to feel the weight of the guilt of our sin, He reveals Christ, and in, and in turn, revealing Christ, it shows us our own heaviness. Isaiah 6, your King Uzziah died, he said, I also saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Isaiah experienced the glory. And then he said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among an unclean people. See, the Holy Spirit comes in and He reveals our condition. If you've ever been saved, it is because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. See, I believe, and I'm going to show you a good example of this in just a moment. I think Pentecostals in our wording sometime, we have confused the, the daylights out of people. Because we say, if you've never received the baptism, then you don't, you, you don't have the Holy Spirit. That's not even possible. You can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. Like, what, what in the world are you talking about? Do you get the Father, Son, and then later you get the Spirit? That's, that's not how it works. Confuses people. You get saved, the Holy Spirit moves on the inside. He's resident. Everybody say, He's resident. He's resident. You clapped too early because of what I was going to say next. When the Holy Spirit moves into your life, when you come, become saved and born again, the Holy Spirit becomes resident. But when you become endued with power, He becomes president. 
See, I told you, I told you you stopped too early. There's a yielding to the Holy Spirit that happens after salvation. But He's the convictor of our sin. And after we fall to the conviction of our sin and say, Lord, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I confess Jesus as my Lord. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. <clears throat> the book of Romans talks about this. He picks up our little bad little self out of the kingdom of darkness and he, Colossians says he translates us into the kingdom of his dear son and he drops us off. And now we're a part of the family of God. We've been regenerated. Our spirit is born again. Still got to work on the flesh. How many of you testify to that? Still got to work on the mind. We got to renew some processes. But our spirit is born again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. But yet we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in fact, had this New Testament uh, uh, example in still an Old Testament time because the, until Jesus, the scholars and theologians are divided upon this, but actually, and until the cross was finished, they were still walking in the old, even though it's included in our new. It was an old covenant. It was the blood of Christ and His redemption and resurrection that officially established the new covenant. But you have to understand this. Before Jesus went, He gave His disciples a preview. The Bible said, and He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Every theologian, liberal and conservative alike, believed this, that that was a born-again experience for them. You know how I know? Because it was the same group of people that he told to go and tear in Jerusalem till you receive the endowment of power from my Father. And they were filled in that upper room with the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit regenerates us, but he also wants to empower us. He wants to empower us. Here's number three. How does He desire to do it? The Holy Spirit desires to empower us by us yielding to Him. Yielding to Him. Somebody say, we got to yield to the Holy Spirit. We've got to yield to the Holy Spirit's power. Notice Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Listen, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit to the believer is He wants to give you boldness. The problem in the church in the West is not the lack of access to boldness. It's the presence of coldness. And the truth is, in most churches, there's more fire under the coffee pot than there is under the altar. But I'm here to tell you this morning that we've got to maintain the fire of God in our lives. Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift of God. How many of you ever had an old barbecue grill or old campfire and you, it was blazing all day and you walked away from it and there's just a little bit of smoke coming up from it? You say, man, it looks like the fire's out. You say, no, it's not. Grab a stick and you go to poking it around, stirring it around. All of a sudden, the wind hits the ember and it engulfs again. 
That's what he said. He said, stir up the gift of God that was it, that's within you, that was given by the laying on of my hands. Some of you in this room this morning, you said, Pastor, I feel dead. I feel cold. I feel like God's not doing anything in my life. I wonder if he's still with me. I want you to know the Bible said, I will never leave you or forsake you, and I will never walk away. He said, even until the end of the age, you just have to stir it up. He wants to give you that supernatural boldness. Boldness to be a witness. Say, Pastor, I'm afraid to pray at the dinner table. Well, let me tell you something. If a Muslim can pull out a mat at an airport, no matter who's looking, and bow down and pray several times a day, you can at least say prayer at the dinner table. Come on, somebody. You say, Pastor, I'm afraid... I'm afraid to talk to my neighbor about Jesus. I'm afraid to have hard conversations about Jesus. Can I submit to you? I'm not saying you're not saved. I wouldn't dare say that. But I'll submit to you that perhaps you've not received the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're going to reach the harvest, you've got to have some boldness. Quickly, quickly, I'm hastening to a close. Then he says he gives us gifts. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, the working of miracles, the gift of faith, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, the gifts of healings. He gives us gifts that he wants us to use. Not, watch this, not so that we can just hang out in church and have a good time with each other. You do know, right, that 95% of all the miracles Jesus did was not in the synagogue, but in the marketplace. Jesus said, go into all the world. There is a place in Scripture. There is, there is, there is. I don't want to say there's not. There is a place where the, where the people went out. They said, come see a man. There is a place. But that's the exception and not the rule. Jesus told us to go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. He told us to go. He gives us gifts. Beyond that, the Holy Spirit Helps us pray. Acts chapter, or Romans chapter 8 rather, says likewise the Spirit Himself helps us in our weaknesses. One translation says infirmities. It says when we know not what we should pray, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us through groanings which cannot be uttered. And the Holy Spirit wants to be active in every person's life. The question is not if you're saved, the question is not, do I have the Holy Spirit or do I not? You do. If you're, if you're really saved, you do. If people don't like that, tough. It's, that's the Bible. The question is, have you yielded to the Holy Spirit's power? I've got a picture I want to show you. It's the best illustration I've ever seen. It's childish, but it's great. Can, I, can you show that picture? How many of you know what that is? That's a Coke bottle and what? What is it? All right, how many of you have ever done this before? The, notice this, the bottle is just a container, right? The bottle's just a container. Here's what I want you to know. Our flesh is just a container. The Coke, is it inside the bottle? Come on now. I said the Coke, is it inside the bottle? All right. Well, that's a great picture. 
the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at salvation, He's on the inside of us. But Jesus said, out of their belly would flow rivers of living water. That's when what's in you flows out of you. The Bible calls it the baptism into the Holy Spirit. Now who can tell me what happens when you put those Mentos in that Coke bottle? What's on the inside comes on the outside. And the very plainest way I can tell you this morning, when you yield to the Holy Spirit, it'll bubble up into joy. It'll bubble up into power. The Bible says it's evidenced by the speaking with other tongues. Now, it's interesting to me that so many people are afraid of what I just told you about. When it's scriptural through and through. But I'm telling you right now, close your Bible. I'm telling you something right now. I would not want to live one day more on this old planet without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Not one. Seriously. Seriously, not one. Boys don't know if they're girls. Girls don't know if they're boys. Girls don't know if they're cats. They got cat litter in bathrooms in Washington and Oregon and people have lost their mind. People have lost their mind. Absolutely. Lunatic. Jesus is about to come. Signs of the times are upon us. And the powers of hell are unleashed against the world. Your kids are fighting things in school you never fought before, parents. Grandparents, you can't even wrap your mind around it, I promise you. The days of chewing gum and running in the hallways are over. There are, there are some things happening even among our schools. And I'm not meaning just teenagers. I mean little bitties. Spirit of perversion is loosed. And, and there's all kinds of witchcraft and, and things that we've been learning about in the world that are stepping out on the scene. And I want to submit to you this morning that if you're going to make it, you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're going to have to have it. Final thought. Why did Jesus tell us that we needed the power of the Holy Spirit? Why did He tell the disciples to wait until they received the Holy Spirit? Why could you not even be a deacon in Acts chapter 6 unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm going to tell you why. The Holy Spirit in you? That's for us to live by. But that overflow, that's for other people. That's for other people. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for ministry. Oh, pastor, I'm not called into the ministry. You lie, you fry. There's no exemption forms in the Lord's army. You have a responsibility to pray. You have a responsibility to serve. You have a responsibility to give. You have a responsibility to go. It may not be to Africa or to Indonesia, but you do have a responsibility to go to your neighbor. 
You have responsibility to go to your friends, your family, and all of those around you. And if people on your job don't know you're a Christian, shame on you. Say, Pastor, I don't want to shove it down anybody's throat. If you just live right, you won't have to. They'll be going through all the problems and stuff in their life, and here you are over here walking in peace. They'll say, my God, what's different about you? The door will open for you. The Holy Spirit makes the difference. I want everybody to stand up on your feet this morning.